0: Let's open in, in prayer. Father, thank you for the privilege of once again looking into your word and looking at subjects that we're not used to looking at too much. And, Lord, I thank you that you've promised by your Holy Spirit to open your word to us. Lord, we ask that you do that again today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for coming. This has really been exciting to share with you and to get your feedback on what's, what you're experiencing and what you're learning Last time we talked about the depravity of man. Man is not sick, he is dead. Okay, we covered that last time. Um, this time let's talk about Scripture on election. You've got your handouts there. we have got several pages of Scripture on election. This isn't just a one-verse kind of a thing. It's several verses throughout the Word. And I found that once I've tuned my head and my heart to election you'll find other verses as you go through the scriptures for probably years to come that you never knew were there before so let's just go through these Matthew 7:13, enter by the narrow gate for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction and many are those who enter by it 14 for the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life and few are those who find it Matthew 22:14 For many are called but few are chosen. You'll see that word chosen or choose a lot in these verses. Look for those as we go through that. This is God's message to those of us that read the Bible. John 1:12 But as many as received him to them gave he gave the right to become children of God even to those who believe in his name. John 1.13, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. John 3.8, the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but do not know where it comes from and where it is going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. John six thirty seven. all that the Father gives me shall come to me. And the one who come to me, I will certainly not cast out. These are really powerful promises that the Lord is, is showing us. All that the Father gives me shall come to me. So all those he's pre-appointed before the beginning of time are those that will come to him, and he will not cast out. John six forty four. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. There's the key word in that verse. The Father draws him. So it's not like I'm almost ready, almost willing, almost there. Should I, shouldn't I accept God? No, it's the Father draws you to himself. Does that sound like free will? Not to me. Um, John 6:65, 6, and he was saying, "For this reason, I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it had been granted him from the Father." These are appointed verses. 15:16, "You did not choose me, but I chose you." Wow.
1: <laughs> Go ahead. Great verses, Steve. One of them that I find interesting, I read that for years when I was trying to find my way through this idea back in the 80s. And I didn't have any encouragement from anybody, so I had to kind of just go to the scripture. But 644, see, I used to think, maybe some others here have always heard that, the draw is sort of like this big magnetic property in the world, like a spiritual magnet. Yeah, and it's equally true for everybody. And some people are just more sensitive to it. And they and they yield. And so when they decide to yield, then all of a sudden the drawing actually works. And so then you're really interpreted as a tract. But that's not what it's saying, because one day I finally read the whole verse. And Those were universalists. We wouldn't think, well, if everybody's universally attracted by this force, this magnetism, well, then is everybody raised up on the last day? See, I hadn't put that together in my mind. So I thought, well, everybody's attracted. But this has to be effectual drawing because the ones who do come are raised up. And in John, raised up in the last day means to be saved. Yeah, absolutely. So yep. then I had to totally rethink my theology, which I did, but then my friends weren't too happy with me.
0: Thanks for sharing that point, Bob.
1: Yeah, when they'd come, they come they're they're the Holy Spirit who the born of the Spirit, he brings them.
0: Thanks for shedding more insight on that. That's excellent. Yeah, are there verses that dealt with just the twelve that he was, you know, focusing on? And then later in his ministry he opened it up to the whole world.
1: Okay. Are you thinking of fifteen sixteen? Well, I'm not
0: sure. I'm just asking because he was talking about the twelve, but then he opened it up where the whole world was drawn to him. Does
1: this apply in this case? Uh, uh, go back to the one ahead. had. Yeah, no, fifteen sixteen. Go forward. Right there. John fifteen sixteen. Uh, that's, the the ones in John 6 were about all these multitudes. It wasn't just the 12. Remember, they were about ready to leave too because and, and, they all quit following him. They didn't like his teaching. Yes. But 15, 16, really people say, well, it's about the 12 only. But as a matter of fact, it isn't because Judas left in John 13. He took off. He went off to go betray Jesus. So this discourse that happens in 14, 15, and 16 are only to the 11 who are faithful. So the ones chosen there, that didn't include Judas. He was already gone.
0: Interesting. Thanks (laughs) Thanks so much.
2: So as I'm sorting this out uh, in October of 2014... (laughs) <laughs> uh, these are all New Testament passages. How do they relate to the calling in Old Testament? Specifically, then, we'll take it a little farther. How was Moses called? How was Noah called? How does that relate?
0: Previously, we went over verses about God choosing many Old Testament saints. Uh, and they basically, these scriptures say similar things. God chose... Abraham, God chose um, all these other Old Testament saints as well. So it's a similar principle.
1: Yeah, Jeremiah. Yeah, no, Jeremiah. I knew you before you were born. Mm-hmm. Knowing and knew meaning knowing in a relational way. And um, it says in Romans eleven that Israel is actually foreknown, and it yes. can't mean well, God knew that some group called Israel will show up and decide they want him. Right. You can't interpret it that way. So 4-0 means God chose in advance to have a relationship. Actually, he created the nation and then chose them for a relationship with
2: him. More questions then, I guess. Uh, So Noah was found to be the only righteous man. Is that not correct?
1: Yes. Can I talk about that?
2: Sure. (laughs) Please <laughs> do. God bless you, brother. Uh,
1: Noah is very interesting. I had a dispute with Rick Warren over that because Warren was claiming Noah made God smile. And so in his telling of the story, God was disgusted with all the sin and evil everywhere. But there was this one guy who was a good guy, Noah, and he made God smile. That's what Rick Warren said. So I took a whole chapter to dispute that because it actually says in the text that he found grace in the eyes of the Lord. So God gave grace to Noah and his family and therefore preserved them.
2: That's how I understand it. Okay, that's good. Uh, one other kind of related question, and it came up last week too, is this, in my mind it came up. We didn't really discuss it, but this whole concept of God knowing in advance and, and time, I'm not sure, I've heard some explanations, it was actually from a Catholic television show that I saw, but is, what do you know about this, how do you describe this whole concept of time that we have God doesn't have the same necessarily sense of time. If he can see, for, for instance, he can see the birth of Christ, the persecution, death of Christ, and the resurrection of Christ in the same moment.
1: Okay. You yes. didn't cover that. Yeah, um, we, yeah okay. Uh, we did the, uh, that. the Bible says that God knows the beginning from the end, and he calls for us things. but well, we know that the plan of redemption in Christ was before the foundation of the world. So before time as we know it, God already had all of this in his plan. That there would be Christ coming who would die for sin. So he must have already known there would be sin, included yep. that in his plan. It's all eternal. Now, God is eternal. We we can't even think of life without time being what they call discursive: this happens, then this happens, then this happens, then this happens. It's the only way we can know as creatures. But God is be above and beyond that. You, you have something to add to that? You...
0: Just just that God looks at time from you know from no time at all. God is is not enveloped in time. He's not constrained by time, is maybe a better word. Um, you know, if, if you take a book and you pull the cover all the way around. You've got these, all these pages of the book. If they represent time, God can look through all the pages of time and get into whatever page of time that he wants to. You know, it's a simple example, but God is not restrained by time. And so that was the presentation earlier Earlier, that when we look at election and predestination and God's choosing and the the sovereignty of God, it's hard to wrap our minds as humans in this little block of time that we live in when God is an infinite God in, in all of time, if you will.
1: Yes.
2: A way
3: that I thought of, or has been taught to me before was <clears throat> in Ecclesiastes talks about how we are under the sun and we're on the globe spinning around and around, bound by time. Where God is not on the planet, you know, bodily right Right. now. And so we're he's not bound by time. So that's an easy way for me to think about it that here we are on the globe
2: day after day. You know, the sun comes up, it goes
3: down, and we're we're spinning on the globe. Well, but he's above he's above that.
1: Let's see if we can when we talk about that we should make it very clear though that God chooses to relate to us in the world we're living in. Yes. In in, in theology, it's called condescension, but not in a negative way. So when the Bible says, like Eric's been preaching on Daniel's 70th week, the seven years, it actually is something that happens one event after another, after another, after another. And that's how we live, and that's our history God relates to us in our history. Absolutely. But someday we'll be in heaven with him and it's all eternal. Without
0: without time. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Good. Good questions. Good comments. Thank you. Let's look at some more. Thanks for those insights, Bob. Acts two twenty two 22 and 23. Men of Israel, listen to those these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you supposed to be by God, with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst. Just as you yourselves know, this man delivered up by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. We'll talk more about this verse in, in a few sessions to come, but there it is about the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God. It's it's a done deal before time began. Acts 4.27, For truly in this city there were gathered together against the holy servant Jesus, who thou didst anoint, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever thy hand and thy purpose predestined to occur. Acts thirteen, forty-eight. When the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord, and as many as had been appointed to eternal life, believed. Boy, that's pretty clear to me. As many as had been appointed to eternal life. So that means that some were not appointed to eternal life. You see the good, you know, the positive part of that verse but there's, always, there's also the converse of that verse. Some have not been appointed. Ephesians 1, 4. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself according to the kind intention of his will according to the kind intention of his will. Romans 8, 29 and 30. For whom he foreknew, he also predestines to become conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren, and whom he predestined, these he also called, and whom he called, these he also justified, and whom he justified... These he also glorified. Just verses saying over and over and over again the fact that God is choosing, God is electing, God is is in control here. Colossians 3.12, And so as those who have been chosen of God, there it is again, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. These are our words. Methods, direct, directives of how to live our lives to those of us who have been chosen. But it's clear here that God is doing the choosing. 1 Thessalonians 1.14 Knowing, brethren, beloved by God, his choice of you. <laughs> Powerful words. 2 Thessalonians 2.13 But we should always give thanks to God for you, Brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and faith and in the truth. Look at these verses. They just wow. really thrill thrill me inside. God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation. Second Timothy one nine, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling. Not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity. What, what can you say? How can you better say that than what, what the scripture itself is saying? Not according to our works. It's nothing that we can do to be saved, but according to his own purpose and grace that we're chosen. There's more. James one eighteen. In the exercise of his will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, so that we would be a kind of firstfruits among his creatures. One Peter one one through three, Peter an apostle of Jesus Christ to those who reside as aliens, scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. It's just like, there it is, those flashing neon lights that I like to think about. It's like, these are celebrating words. By the sanctifying work of the Spirit to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood, may grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope. God has caused us... To be born again. Second Peter 1.10 Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and what choosing you. Just re- the scriptures are replete with this concept. Once you're aware of it, you start to see it everywhere. As you're doing your Bible studies, as you're listening to sermons being preached or Bible studies being done, all of a sudden there's a an awareness that you weren't aware of before. Grace. Obviously, as a result of God's choosing, we are under grace. Grace is God acting freely, according to his own nature of love, with no promise or obligations to fulfill. Just think about these things for a little bit. Grace, therefore, is uncaused in those who receive it. Its cause lies wholly in the giver, God. Grace has no debts to pay or fulfilled conditions on man's part to wait for. It can act toward whom and how it pleases. It can and does often place the worst deservers in the highest favors. So this concept of God being fair or, or unfair, that doesn't play a part here. Number four, grace cannot act where there is ability. Let me read that again. Grace cannot act where there is ability. Grace does not help. It is absolute. It does all. So in other words, we can't do anything to receive God's grace it's just his gift to us that's what this is all about as a a, maybe a different way of looking at grace a more in-depth way of looking at grace there is no cause in the person why grace should be shown the person must be brought from trying to give cause to God for his grace Certainly, I'm good enough. Lord, give me some, some uh, cut me some slack here and give me your, your blessing. No, it doesn't work that way. There's no cause in the person why grace should be shown. Six, the discovery by a person that he is truly the object of grace should produce utmost humility. <coughs> Therefore, flesh has no place in the plan of grace. This is why grace is hated by the proud, natural mind of man. We can't do it ourselves, and that steps on our pride. It steps on everything about the human will. Here's a picture of sovereign grace. At the top, you see, born again, seeks God, becomes sons or children of God, no condemnation, made alive, slaves of Christ or righteousness, and ultimately heaven. With the corresponding scriptures. Imputed sin, our sin is imputed to Christ, Second Corinthians five, seventeen imputed righteousness, Christ's righteousness is imputed to us, gives us the new divine nature but sovereign grace comes from from God. All these verses we were to go through them, some of them we just did refer to this picture that because of God's sovereign grace we are then alive in Christ and the opposite of Sovereign grace, if God chooses not to give sovereign grace, would be born in sin. No one seeks God. Aliens, damned, condemned, dead, slaves of sin and hell. And here our imputed sin comes from Adam and is imputed directly to us. Versus in under the grace measure, imputed sin, our sin is imputed to Christ. Inherited sin passed on to every person from parents gives us the old sin nature. Romans three twenty three, for all have sinned. Under God's sovereign grace, imputed righteousness, Christ's righteousness is imputed to us, gives us the new divine nature. Picture of grace. This is a little diagram of the pre-salvation progression. You've got a little bit different diagram. Christy did some changing around to get it on the slide, but, but it says the same thing: the de- depravity of man, quickening of spirit, seeking by man, calling of God, conviction of the spirit, a faith response of man the justifying work of God. Some people are confused about this progression. It's not all thought out, not not easily figured out sometimes. That's why it's listed. Here, the, the quickening of the spirit, depravity of man, quickening of the spirit is what God does. We looked at that earlier. God made us alive. And then we choose him, we seek him, the faith response of man would be we choose him and then the justifying work of God this is really new to a lot of people it might be review for you but it's really difficult oops sorry I thought I'd eliminated that slide <laughs> the calling of God external calling goes out to the entire world Internal calling goes out to the elect. The external call, those that goes out to the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Okay? Acts 10.43, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. Romans 10:13 Whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Matthew 22:14 First half of the verse many are called. But on the internal call of God for the elect Ephesians 1, 4, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. <laughs> Acts 13, 48, as many as had been appointed to eternal life, believed. 1 Peter 1, 1 and 2, who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God. 2 Thessalonians 2, 13, God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation. John fifteen sixteen, you did not choose me, but I chose you. In the second half of Matthew 22:14, few are chosen. Okay, why does God have an external call and an internal call? I asked Eric about this a few months back, and he helped me with some of these concepts. God uses the foolishness of preaching as his means or instrument by which he saves the elect. I think LuAnn asked the question a while back, why should we evangelize? This is the reason. God uses the foolishness of preaching as his means or instrument by which he saves the elect. He he uses us. That's, That's what God has designed. Romans 10, 14, 15. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed how will they believe in him whom they have not heard, and how will they hear without a preacher? How will they preach unless they are sent as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good tidings? So the word has to go out, and God has chosen us to do that.
1: Go ahead uh, Maybe we should make it clear i don't, uh, uh, that And this is all really good, thank you, but this call that we 're talking about external and internal okay um, it 's actually the gospel going to everybody,
0: yes, yeah, yes,
1: right, So when it Jesus is. says, "You are weary, come and find rest or a whole everyone that thirsts or on the last great day of the feast, I use that one on Sunday, the universal call is really universal, as you show, so when we're talking about external-internal, it has to do with the effect. So somebody, you can have all the people on Pentecost heard Peter preach. Mm-hmm. And some people are, you know, like the Jewish leaders, well, how are we going to get rid of these people? Okay, they heard the same message, same thing with Stephen. Now, the, the elect, which ahead of time we don't know who they are, Okay. They're the ones that it pierces them to the heart, and that's what it said in Acts two. They were pierced to the heart. Okay. Now as you're saying Steve, rightly so, we have to preach to everybody. We don't know who that's going to be. That's right. Yeah, and that passage earlier that you quoted, God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation. Yeah. It says, through sanctification of the Spirit and something about the truth. And it shows right there God uses means. He does. Okay? And so um, we should be just as enthused, if not more so, about preaching the gospel once we understand the doctrine of election. It does not put a damper on gospel preaching, it motivates it. Yeah, I, I never really got as enthused about gospel preaching, which I'm getting more enthused the older I get, uh, until I started realizing that these things were true. Because before I thought, I'm not going to get it right, and they're going to be bummed out or turned off, or they're going to think something about me that I wasn't doing it right. And these people are going to go to hell. It's going to be all my fault. Because I didn't get it right, or I'm not wasn't persuasive enough, or I wasn't clever enough, or I didn't have every answer. I don't. Once that was removed, and I realized God is going to use the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. Oh, well, I could do that. It it it,
0: it really takes the burden off of your shoulders. I remember the exact feeling, Bob, when I first understood election. It's like you mean I don't have to say the exact right words? No. You mean I don't have to be right at the right moment at that right time? No. Not necessarily. God uses every moment in our lives. But I remember that, you know, I I struggled to think, you know, how can I how can I minister, how can I evangelize more exactly to get the message more clearly to those I'm I'm talking to. And then election I understood election and I realized, no, this is God's business. I'm just a tool. I am one of the means here in in this as his means. I'm using the he is I am one of the foolishness of, of preaching using and as God's using his means to get that message out. Well said.
3: Yeah, that is well said. And you know, if we continue down to verse seventeen. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. And so this ties in as To really, why do we do ministry the way we do it? Why is it that we're content with preaching the word of God over and over and over and not engaged in self-help and those types of topics? It's because the word has its effect. That's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 4, he says, My speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in a demonstration of the spirit and power that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God, that's why we're here now because our preaching and teaching has to do not with the words of men but what the spirit has inspired and so if some teachers getting you into contact with what the scriptures are saying you're getting in contact with the author of the scripture who is inspired by the spirit and therefore you're getting into contact with god himself who's talking to you but if if I tell you, look, you know, I think I've, I've got a burden in my heart, and I think all of you need to hear my words today. Now you're hearing my words, not the Spirit. And so that's why we have to preach the way we do, I think. I think that's a, this is why we do ministry the way we do it. We have to, and, and your Bible studies, too.
1: Well, I was just going to say, oh, uh, you know, I just saw an ad five ninety nine a month you can get a positive world word every day from Joel Osteen on serious on <laughs> five ninety nine a month and you 're going to get all this in oh it 's so wonderful and uh, never mind okay,
0: so the calling goes out, and God uses us that 's the summation of what we just just said, and without us, the stones would cry out. Um, somebody went to Israel, a lot of people go to Israel, brought back one of the rocks from Israel, mounted it on a plaque with that correlated verse and put it on his desk, and people asked, what's that rock for? He said, I just wanted to see if, if, uh, if the believers didn't, didn't share, didn't witness, he wanted to see one of the rocks that would have cried out. <laughs> I thought that was special. So the general call goes out, and the elect heed and believe the gospel due to the effectual calling. God is heaping guilt upon those who reject the gospel. For he is not asking them to do anything but believe the word that is near them in their mouth and in their heart. Romans 10.8, what does it say? Thy word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we, we are preaching in other words, to every person listening, the word is there if they want to hear it. And it's the Holy Spirit that does the quickening. God uses the external call to effect, effectuate the internal call. This is why Paul was willing to suffer so to preach the gospel. For this reason, I also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus and with it eternal glory. He was willing to suffer for that. Second 2 Timothy 2.10 I think that would be a good lesson for us to consider as well. In America we don't suffer very much. We've got our shelter and our clothing and our food for the most part. Paul was willing to suffer and he did. This is sort of a picture of how someone who believes in free will might think about it. The independence of man, the potential salvation of man, the ability of a spiritually sick man. The three columns they might consider as how they might arrive at salvation. This is a sarcastic view of this. Man is free to operate apart from God. The salvation of man is the central purpose and goal of God, but there's no guarantee with free will. And that's not what the scriptures say. But this is the view that someone who holds the free will concept might hold, might have. Just a little bit of a different perspective. Well, third column, man, though spiritually sick, still has the ability, I don't know how, to seek God and cooperate with his grace for salvation but when you when you're speaking to someone who is an unbeliever and they don't know about election which most people don't this might be their mindset so just a heads up you know obviously god is going to lead you in your in your ministry of of sharing regardless of what their concept is yeah you got a question please
1: I'm sorry, I shouldn't be in the front
4: row. And I guess maybe this should have gone um, earlier, but I was thinking of because a lot of the people who um, don't see election, they will kind of refute it by using this that slang "once saved, always saved" idea, and or a cheap grace. Yeah. You know, can you kind of elaborate on that a little bit? Just, you know. I guess I'm thinking. You know, I. I In my Protestant upbringing, that's what you always heard with the once saved, always saved. Because what they would see is people who went to church but then would go live their life any way they wanted because Jesus wasn't Lord of their life. So they could claim Jesus or claim Christianity but not Jesus as Lord. So it was kind of that antinomianism, (laughs) you know, just go live any way that you want. And so other people would see that and they would just... um, think how well how can this once saved always saved be true when people are living just like the world
0: you know uh, what i'm saying yes i understand what you're saying that living a sinful life in spite of their supposed conversion to christ and i would i would first of all wonder if they're really converted would be my first thought uh, because a life that's given to christ from the inside naturally wants to begin to follow him i mean in the very beginning, there's going to be a lot of stumbling around and, and failing Christ and failing in, in their walk with God. But even in their stumbling, there's a desire. They're changed overnight. Bob's testimony from um, using God's name in vain one, one day and going back to work and, and not using his name in vain anymore is, is uh, one testimony I think that's really excellent that just shows that point. And so when I hear people like that, well, I can live any way I want, it's uh, abusing what the scriptures are really saying. Yeah.
2: Steve, um, like the slide before, you said that Christ, I, I believe he he wants people to, to believe the gospel and be saved. But if they're not, I, I mean, if they're not, if they're dead spiritually, they can't get to that point to believe. So... So in other words, uh, it's it's like it's impossible for them to believe because they're dead. Exactly. So how can they, how can, because they're not elected, how can, I I oh, get this question. Are you talking
0: about the external call of God where God is, is calling everyone to believe?
2: Right. Okay. I mean, if, if they're not elected to believe.
0: That is a confusing
2: Thought. Oh, yeah. Confusing I idea. Talk to that. oh,
0: okay. um, but that's that's the nature of the of the uh, God's grace and his external call, his call that he does call everyone for the gospel, but he only chooses some. And we've talked a lot about that. So we can we don't know whether that person that we're talking to is going to be come a believer or not. It's just our job to share the gospel and to let the Holy Spirit do what they do what He wants to do.
1: Now this would be critics that are saying that to you, Dan. Um, yeah, we hear that and in, including some of our old friends that become angry when they hear the doctrine of election. Mm-hmm. Um and they're saying At least that I've heard. I've had people challenge that, too. You don't really believe God is sincerely, you know, issuing this call, okay? Because God's morally obligated to do everything he can possibly do to save everybody. I was told that by an old ministry friend we had Mm -hmm. who was a, you know, severe anti-Calvinist, if you want to say that. But uh, we can't be told that we can't believe the whole Bible. And so I would say, the Lord says, I take no delight in the death of anyone who dies, therefore repent and live. I believe that. And they say, You can't believe that. Well, who are you to tell me I can't believe what the Bible says? Well, then they say, because they're trying, they think this is a conflict. Well, if God does sincerely desires everyone to be saved, then why doesn't he just give electing grace to everybody and get it over with? Well, the answer is given in Romans 9. Who are you, old man, to reply to God? And I know this came up in seminary classes. Somehow, if we're Christians, we have to bow our knee to what God said in Scripture. and to to teach it all, to preach the whole counsel of God, I do not at all feel like I'm being hypocritical when I preach the universal call, or Ezekiel 18, or Matthew 11, or John chapter 7, or Revelation 22, or John 3.16. It doesn't matter. And so don't let anybody, they're just trying to, throw dust in the air and confuse everything. So just say we teach the whole counsel of God and uh, I do believe God takes no delight in the death of anyone who dies and I don't know why he doesn't save everybody. He just decided He's not to. chosen to only save some.
3: You know Steve you had a good uh, passage on there too that Romans 10 if everybody turns your Bible to Romans 10 verse 5 Moses cites here from Deuteronomy he said, well, I'll be skipped to verse 6. He says, but the righteousness based on faith says, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. And the whole point that Paul's making there is the word that's been preached in the external call is not so difficult that people can't understand it. And the point being there is the reason for unbelief is the sinner's fault. It's not God's. So yes, God did not choose them, but their depravity, it's not that they can't understand the words. Like we're speaking Chinese and they only understand English. God has just asked them to believe the word that's been spoken, and yet they won't do it. So God hasn't asked them to jump to the moon or to bring Christ down or go down to Sheol. He simply asked them to believe these words unto salvation. And so it's a moral objection that they have to it and so that kind of answers the fairness issue because they're the ones who have are not believing now of course if they do believe it's only because of god's grace but their lack of belief isn't god's problem it's theirs and i would point them to that romans 10 passage to say look god hasn't asked them to do something impossible and that's where we distinguish jonathan edwards distinguished between moral inability and natural ability they have the natural ability to understand the words, but the moral inability to want to believe them. They love their deeds of darkness, so: oh,
1: yeah.
2: yep. Steve
0: Thank you.: Yeah, it goes back to the Gospels where Jesus talked about the three soils, the stony soil and the uh, rocky. Yes, and the uh, you know good soil in that that type of analogy. Good, good example. That's a good yes, one, Steve. That's a good example.
1: Thank you. You get the astute reading award.
4: <laughs> <laughs> it seems like there comes a point where there is a wall because because his ways are so far greater than our ways that we cannot get it. We have to just say, here it is. Because his ways are greater than our ways.
0: You're saying as a believer? Yeah, as a y- believer. Yes. You yes. just have to say. It's a point of faith. Yeah. Francis Schaeffer used to used to say in his books, his articles, and I listened to him one time when I was with him at one of his conferences that when he would argue with people, unbelievers, about um, their faith, and not lack of faith, and he would eventually begin to just break down all of their uh, false uh, stepping stones that they stood their life on, and when nothing was left, and they stood there speechless, he said he would then spiritually push them over the cliff. He would he would do the act of faith. It's like you're describing. It's like you reach a, a point and only in words Francis Schaefer was talking about, but the point being that, yes, we come to a point where, God, I can't do this on my own. It is you, and I acknowledge you, or the other, the other way, and you just, you know, I can't accept God. I, I can't believe what you're telling me. One, one point or the other. But, yeah, that's exactly right, Nancy. Let's move ahead a little bit. Man's free will, quote-unquote, free. What does it mean for something to be free? Not under another's control, not a captive or slave, not held back from acting or thinking as one pleases, not affected or restricted by any condition or circumstance, not imprisoned or enslaved, not controlled or by obligation or the will of another, not subject to another restraint that's kind of what people have in their mind when they say this is you know, I want free will it's a difficult concept to be that virgin that pure in, in the terms of a free will but that's the technical definition of, of that part of it is man's will totally free it's an understood question. I don't think so. No. Is God's will totally free? Let's look at that. Again, I had Eric help me on this. Does God have free will? God does have free will, and that he freely can act in ways that are good and that conform to his character. What is good and even possible is tied to the very essence of God Himself. This doctrine is called essentialism. Think first about God's omnipotence. God is certainly all powerful, but this does not mean that He exercises His power in an evil manner. He always acts freely in accordance with His nature or essence. This means that God does not violate His nature. For example, it would be impossible for God not to exist and then to put himself into existence. You know, can God make the stone so big he can't lift it? This would violate God's essence. By nature, God is a non contingent being. Good thoughts. We must think about God's free will then in this way He is absolutely free in that there is no higher being that can prevent him from exercising his will. I like that. There is no higher being that can prevent him from exercising his will. Romans 9.19, you will say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who resists his will? It's understood no one can, right? Right? His exercising of his free will, however, is never apart from his essence, which is good. So, just as God cannot exist because it violates his essence, he never does evil because it is not his nature. The problem with human free will is that it is in bondage to do evil. Romans 8, 8 states that those who are in the flesh cannot please God. The flesh represents the sphere of man that is opposed to the things of God. Our free will is also limited by God. If a man, for example, wanted to destroy the whole world, which would be great evil, God would restrain him from doing so. So there's a limit on what man's will can do or not do based on what God wants to do. If God wanted to destroy the whole world, no one could restrain him. Well said, Eric. Thank you. Gets across a really clear point about the free will of man and the free will of God. It's a whole big different distinction.
2: I wonder if you could help me Understand Matthew twenty-three, thirty-seven, talking about man's will or unwillingness, and Jesus wanting to do something.
0: It says, "O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her, how often I wanted to gather your children
3: together, the way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were
0: unwilling."
1: I've struggled with that one. I'm not sure
0: how to how to answer that one. Oh, I see something of prophecy here in what uh, God is doing with Israel that God wanted Israel to be the the his his children and they refused to do that. In the end we know in Revelation that they will ultimately become willing. But Jesus was lamenting the fact that he came to them and offered himself to them as his savior, and they rejected him. So they were unwilling at this time. In, in, the, in the future, after the tribulation, the, in the end of the tribulation, Israel then does turn to God and become willing. Do you want to say anything about that? I'm sure well, you guys have got a lot more to say.
1: Well, it's a, that's a great uh, good question. Pertinent passage. And I've been thinking about Acts because when I get done with the means of grace in Acts 2, I'm going to go on and preach through Acts. we in Sunday school. That's the only book I haven't taught through in my whole life of preaching. Uh, think of Stephen's sermon in Acts 7. You take that passage you read, Norm. How often I would have gathered you, but you're unwilling Then go to Stephen's sermon or speech. God did this, they rebelled, and God sent this, and they rebelled, and he sent prophets, and they stoned them. Well, there's other parables about that. Remember, he sends all these emissaries, and they kill them all, and they finally send the son, and they say, let's grab him and take it. It just shows God's long-suffering nature, which was revealed on Mount Sinai. The Lord, the Lord God, full of mercy and truth. He's long-suffering. And that's something they always repeated. God is patient. God is very patient. And when they would rebel and kill prophets, he'd still send more. Finally, he sent the Son. so it it contrasts God's long-suffering nature with incredible spiritual wickedness. So, that doesn't mean that what those prophets said was false. The prophet says, repent and live. It's true. If they repent, they do live. Well, they don't want to.
3: Yeah. And Norm, you're probably um, concerned about here it seems like humans are thwarting God's will. Yeah. Jesus desired something, but right. they're, they're thwarting only his moral will. Um, okay. You know, here's this command to repent, but they're fulfilling his decreative will. And that's what I, was th- I thought you were going to go to is the Acts 2.23, where it was the predetermined, he had it on, the, had it on the, the screen earlier, the predetermined foreknowledge of God had determined that Christ would be crucified, and yet it was the hands of godless men that did it. So they sinned violating God's moral will, but they end up fulfilling God's decretive will. You see the same thing in Revelation 17, where all the nations give their allegiance to the beast, so they're violating God's moral will because they're fighting against the Lamb. But it fulfills God's decretive will because it says it was for His purpose. Yeah. So that's how we reconcile, I very, think, that passage.: good. Yep, there. And that's something you'd pointed out when you were doing Acts. Um, and we'll come to yes. that again.
1: Yeah. Well, yeah. You have to make that distinction. very good. Um, well, I, I have a history of debating Armenians on these things, because when I came to understand election, everybody I knew was an Armenian. And so then there's this interaction and this one guy that wrote a book with 500 pages rebuking the idea of the grace of God and salvation, although he would deny that, he denies that there's two wills in God. He said there's only one will, a moral will. Well, So then how do you interpret Acts 2.23 that Steve had on on the screen? Because It was godless man. It's not God's moral will that people be godless. But it was the predetermined plan of God. And this stubborn guy would say, No, 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 I don't care. There's only one will. And you go around and around and burn up paper, and then eventually email came around. (laughs) And then you just, I don't know what you burn up when you send the emails. (laughs) <laughs> but uh, you know, uh, you, you you can't actually understand the Bible unless you understand the truth that God wills in one regard what He doesn't will in another. And Jesus mentioned that it needs be that offenses come, but woe to him through which they come. Okay. And so then we can go off in our philosophy, or we can take it to heart and say, "I don't want to be the one that brings the offense." Then, then God will bless that. <laughs> Good question, Norm. Steve, we're gonna—we're we're, we're we're making it real hard for you to get through these slides, aren't we? <laughs> this is this is really fun. I really
0: enjoy the interaction and. You know, standing here with two uh, seminary graduates here in our midst is rather humbling, and I don't mind it at all uh, when they have better answers than I do. This is great. Does God have free will? Bottom line, just because God always exercises his will according to his nature does not mean that he does not have free will. Another thought. Humans, on the other hand, have a will that is in bondage to sin and one that is limited by the omnipotent hand of God. We will, uh, it's in my notes, you guys. God's will, see here it is back there, two wills. (laughs) We're going to touch on that with some more references, but that's a great answer for Norm's question right now. Let's close in a word of prayer. Father, thank you again that you brought to light so many things that we may have not thought about tonight. Pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would bring discernment and uh, understanding. Lord, that we could take these words and go and share with those who don't believe that they might possibly be enlightened. They might be called, we don't know, might be chosen, we don't know, but that we could share with them, Father, that you love them that you do desire to bring them to yourself. Thank you, Lord, for your word that it's true. We can count on it. It's 100% accurate. Thank you for that privilege and that honor, Lord, that uh, you gave us that. ask your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.